Ahoy, and welcome back to Not Allowed to Die, your podcast about mental health, where I, Dan Megler, social worker and life enthusiast, answer your questions about mental health and talk about the challenges that I'm seeing in my practice, uh, both as a school social worker and in my private practice. Alongside me, as always, is Mariska, the three-toothed Patterdale Terrier, who is snoring lightly as we chat. So if you hear that in the background, enjoy. Today, I am a little lower energy because it was a weekend of funerals. And interestingly, both funerals that I was attending had the connection of dementia for the people who passed away. And both were younger than they should have been. In the first case, it was a man who's actually younger than me who worked out at the CrossFit gym where I used to work out. And after contracting COVID, he was perfectly healthy. I mean, in, incredibly strong. He played college football and powerful guy, um, father of three small children. And just funny, nice, kind, intelligent, and contracted COVID um, before the vaccines were available. And then that uh, whether that triggered some latent dementia or if that was a direct cause, we'll never know. But he his brain function declined uh, to the point where he eventually was not able to swallow and eat and ended up dying. The other was a parent of two of my students' twins that I have who had a much longer battle with Alzheimer's, but she was diagnosed at the age of 51. Um, And so after a 10-year battle, um, again, her Alzheimer's progressed to the point where she was not eating and swallowing and whatnot. And dementia involves a lot of different kinds of grief, both from the death, but before the death. There's a fantastic podcast. If you like comedy, true crime, and mental health, I would highly recommend My Favorite Murder. And one of the hosts, uh, Karen Kilgariff, lost her mother to Alzheimer's. And she said she was talking to another comedian and just explaining what it's like because they both had family members with dementia. They said it's like being in the water in movie Jaws. And somebody says, there's a shark in the water. And you feel that level of dread and terror. And the shark is coming for a decade, like you're just stuck there, knowing that this inevitable thing is happening, but there's nowhere to run. And in my case, my father died um, due to complications of dementia, um, also complications from COVID. His dementia predated the COVID, but after getting getting COVID, I mean, the decline was devastating and uh, precipitous. My father's dementia was different than most in that it started with the body and his ability to walk and balance slipped away. And so he was falling a lot while his mind was still relatively sharp. Um, Over the period of time before his death, I mean, he would sometimes see a little boy that wasn't there or would have uh, this desire to get up and go to work when it's like, okay, you've been retired for 20 years. You're not going anywhere for work. So in his case, the care that people my mother had to give was 24 hours a day, seven days a week. She literally could not get up and go to the bathroom because he would maybe try to get out of his chair and walk when he really wasn't able to. And so he would fall. So she literally had to sometimes strap him to his chair if she was going to go to the bathroom or take a shower or do things like that. And so that grief, that grief that we feel of, I've lost this person that I love, but their body is still here. And maybe I'm seeing flashes of the person that they were, but those flashes becoming more and more rare. 
And I think we don't like to talk about dementia and we don't like to think about Alzheimer's, dementia, Huntington's, which is just an absolutely devastating disease uh, because we're all terrified that our brains could betray us and we, you know, but for the grace of God could be in that exact same position someday. And we all pray for and innovations and things like that and the technology to help understand the brain and clear out the plaque in it or whatever else is causing these things. So the challenge talking to these uh, twin students who lost their mother, after she had been in, I mean, in a nursing home for over five, four years, over five years, and then the day that she finally died, there is this anticlimactic feeling of my mom's been kind of gone for a long, long time but this is different. And this is not a podcast that's filled with amazing advice, just some observations that you, there are these desires to give platitudes to people. You know, they're in a better place now or whatnot. And I think we talked before on a different podcast about toxic positivity. And that's fine to believe that, but don't say it to a person who's lost someone unless they are expressing it first. Follow their lead. I think I've mentioned that in my office, I have a little sign up. It's the motto for an organization called Play for Peace. And it's just show up, shut up, and be available. And when we are talking to someone who's grieving, we don't have to have the cute, trite little phrase. There's nothing wrong with, I'm sorry for your loss. And it's redundant and boring almost to hear it over and over, but it's true and it's safe and then it's really just your presence when in talking to the 17 year old girl today at the the funeral right after filing by and she just says to me this is so awkward no one knows what to say i said yeah that's how it's going to be and we actually joked around and shared a laugh and hopefully i'll get a chance to check in with her more at school the next week and that's where we really do our work for people who are grieving is not in the moments after the funeral, not in that day, or, I mean, there's nothing wrong with bringing a casserole by or doing things like that. But it's putting four random dates in your calendar and reaching out to them later and connecting and going and have lunch and whatnot, a year, two years, four years. They say for a person who loses a primary caregiver before the age of 20, it can sometimes take up to seven years to fully grieve that. And what does that mean? Does that mean they're going to feel terrible that whole time? Of course not. It's going to be, even on, again, the day of the funeral, a person might be feeling all of the denial, the bargaining, the depression, the anger, the acceptance, and the finding meaning. So we might get all of those in a single day, and hopefully more and more of those over time. Personally, I like to think that with my father's dementia, the little parts of him that were slipping away were going to his afterlife ahead of time, kind of preparing the way for him. And that when he died, he was able to be rejoined with all of his consciousness. Now, I'm agnostic, as I may or may not have mentioned on the podcast. So for me, there's not a direct, huge belief and faith in that. That's just what I like to think. But I have found others that find that idea of those little pieces going ahead to pave the way, those little pieces going ahead to be with the other people that they've lost, and then them all being rejoined can be comforting. Again, I would not share that concept with someone 
until they shared more about their faith with me, what their beliefs were. I sometimes ask people, again, what what's working for them in having mementos, memories. I was asking the, the brother today if he's got any kind of keepsake or whatnot. For me, having my father's wedding ring on you know, my finger, I just keep it there and touch it. And it's just a, a symbol, a touchstone, uh, an, almost an amulet of sorts, uh, to say, I remember you. I'm thinking of you. And thinking of him not as, and unfortunately my children had got to see my father, but as I knew him. And I think that's a challenge for anybody who has a disorder like dementia, Alzheimer's, whatnot, is this desire to be remembered as the healthiest version of themselves and not as the part of them that just needed so much support. In the book, The Courage to be Disliked, the author suggests, as his framing of Adler's psychology says, Adler would say we need these two things to be happy, good interpersonal relationships and a sense of greater meaning and purpose. And it asks the question, well, what greater meaning and purpose could a person who's highly disabled have? You know, a person who needs so much help and support. What's their greater meaning and purpose? How could they possibly be content and happy? Do these people have one? And I know for me, my father's meaning and purpose when he was not able to do much of anything for himself is he gave an opportunity for me and my siblings to spend time with him and my mother more, you know, we spent so much more time at their condo than we do now. And we spent more time with each other. And so a person's illness, their, the intimacy and connection that we made with my father before his death was a gift to all of us. Even if it was that, you know, ideal, it was hard to see a person who, who couldn't shave his face anymore, couldn't do certain basic things for himself that were really important to him. So when we think of grieving, again, a loss of a person who, or even someone who was just going through a very long illness. I remember I had a student many, many years ago, over 20 years ago, and her mother was dying from cancer. And it was stage four, and she knew she had a certain amount of time to live. And she kept living past where the doctors said. It was like, okay, you've got three months to live. And then three months came and six months came. But she was getting sicker. And she would do these grand gestures to her children where she would say, come in the room, and she would give them a rose. And, you know, but after a period, you go through the two or three of these grand gestures, and it's pretty maudlin, and it's pretty depressing. And I remember the student saying to me, it's just awful because I never want to be at home because when I'm there, I just can't wait to be out. It just feels like, you know, a constant wake. And yet, whenever I leave, I feel guilty for being out. And it's okay to have a sense of relief that that waiting is over. That doesn't mean that we're rejoicing in this person's death, but to have some acknowledgement that it was hard. It was hard waiting for that time to come and wanting that death to be peaceful and that person to be free of the prison that their body has become. And I do like to think that the pain and the suffering that we face in life is what can hopefully allow us to not be too attached to life and realize where, where the real tragedies are is a person who's in the full bloom of health and they die in a motorcycle accident or something like that. And that's why it's so hard seeing these younger people get struck down by a Huntington's, by Alzheimer's, by COVID, by whatever it is, because we feel like something's really been stolen. 
the potential of that time. From the time I was maybe 10 or 11, I've thought about death every day. I think about death all the time, but not in a way that bothers me. I am not afraid of death. I'm curious about it. But I do fear dying and leaving my children without the support and care that they need. My wife, without what poor Mariska, what would she do if I wasn't here? So I think that's what uh, my my fear and my anxiety, my death anxiety is not about myself and what will happen, whether or not there's an afterlife or whatnot. It's about how do I leave a legacy and care? And I think that's what we want to say to anyone is to rebuild the memories and reconnect with those, but also say that that person, even in their infirmed state, still had value. And I, one of my clients, her father had a very long illness. And I think people can't understand the degree to which he was still able to set her heart aflame with his smile and the joy of their connection and how much he did for her just by having the unconditional love, even though mentally and physically he was very diminished. So he wasn't where he wanted to be, couldn't do the things he wanted to do. But even at a fraction of those abilities, he was still so incredibly valuable. I have clients who have family members with mental health issues, schizophrenia or whatnot, that's be that they won't seek consistent treatment for. And they may feel a level of guilt that they're not spending more time with that person, or again, a person with Alzheimer's or whatnot who can't remember their name anymore. We don't owe anything. We say, okay, what is going to give me the best sense of calm, connection, and peace? Especially if that person is beyond the point where our visits are really able to do them much good. Do what is right for you. That does not diminish your love. So when you are supporting someone and, and you're wondering what to say, listening to a, again, another podcast about this man who lost his wife to suicide and friends for many years just didn't say much of anything to him. And then when he went through another death, they reached out and they said, hey, I'm so sorry. I didn't know. I didn't know what to say. So I just didn't say anything. So I would say to you, when in doubt, if you don't know what to say, just reach out and say hello. <laughs> Connect and don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to mess it up. It's okay. But don't start by offering your wisdom. Just ask and expect that they're not going to have amazing answers. Oh, what are you up to? Oh, yeah, I've just been surfing and enjoying myself. No, I'm dealing with a death. What do you think? Um, so we want to not ask patently ridiculous questions, but um, catching up on life, showing that care and concern, and particularly doing it not just in the day or week of the aftermath, but two weeks, three weeks, six months, four, three years later, reaching out when that person comes across your mind. And I think that's good advice that I received about not just a person who's lost someone, but for anyone in your life, that old college roommate, a friend from baseball, whichever, if a person crosses your mind, and if you have that ability, don't be afraid to reach out. Very Sometimes they won't be answered, but very rarely will you regret, oh my gosh, that was a terrible idea that I reached out to that person. Now, if it's an old romantic flame and you know we have some history there, that, that would might be a case to rethink that advice. But so it's never your place when you're supporting someone who's died to just tell the person who's grieving, oh, this person you loved is in a better place now, or 
that they are out of their suffering and misery. Let them say what they want to say about that. Take your cues from their thoughts, their beliefs, and then support. Show up, shut up, be available. Like we would do for any death, but understand that a lot of the grieving may have been occurring over a period, a long period of time. That they may be feeling a sense of both relief and guilt for having that sense of relief. And it's going to be complicated. And that's fine. <laughs> that's the way it should be. Because loving people is confusing and complicated. When I say I love someone, what I mean is I bind my heart to yours. Your happiness is my happiness. Your pain is my pain. And to see someone who has lost again, their ability to make decisions for themselves, to know where they're at, to know who the people who are closest to them is, it is dispiriting. And my hat is off to the people who work in homes and facilities uh, for people who have uh, lost memory and whatnot, because it's hard. I Again, I have a another client, she's in her 50s, and she's got some early onset dementia, but she's really pretty great most of the time, but she's afraid to drive on her own now, because there's been times when she just looked up and she had no idea where she was and couldn't remember how to get home. And that's scary to feel, how long am I going to have these certain things and when will they slip away? And I think that's another thing for, I can say for myself or anybody else who's lost someone to a certain form of dementia, could this be in the cards for me genetically? And we don't know. So we just have to play out each day as best we can, putting the best we can into our world and knowing that innovations are occurring and hoping that there'll be ways to prevent these things as we go into the future. So sorry if this is a bit of a maudlin episode. You may pick up a little bit of that in my energy, but I was very, so very glad to know Mike Rodbro, who's the man who died, and to be in the lives of those two young, those twins. Um, I think if they had it to do all over again, no one would have changed that they knew those people and the connections that they made. So if you have a question for me, email me at daniel.megler at live.com. If you have a question for Mariska, again, I will try to get her to answer. She's very stubborn in that way. You can also find me on Quora. Till we talk again, do whatever it takes to get you through this world. Just remember, you are not allowed to die. And now for something completely different. Sometimes there are no words. Sometimes we need love, care, support, and affection. We don't want to, have to explain anything. For young people with mental health issues like anxiety, depression, OCD, autism, therapy is often not enough. Paws for Patrick is an organization dedicated to connecting the love of animals to the people who need it the most. We facilitate that connection by assigning the seekers who contact us a wish granter who listens to their story and their needs and helps them acquire an animal or training or documentation so they can have their emotional support animal, or ESA, in their apartment, dorm, condo, etc. We even have trained therapy dogs and handlers who bring dogs to people who can't have their own. Patrick rarely had the words to express his feelings and his needs, but when he had the love of his dog, Cece, he had the strength to persevere. We want to provide every young person who could benefit that kind of love and support. Please check out our website at pauseforpatrick.org. Find us on Facebook and Instagram, if you have a need, reach out. If you want to help become a volunteer, fill out the form on our website. If you can donate, great, but please at least spread the word so we can replace the suffering and silence that many people do with the smiles and security that only the love of an animal can bring.